This is the Home Health Revealed podcast. Hear stories from real industry leaders discussing topics affecting the ever-changing industries of home health, hospice, and palliative care. Welcome to the Home Health Revealed podcast. This is a unique episode where we have joined forces with the board members of the Association of Home Care Coding and Compliance, AHCC, for their monthly 30-minute session, a panel discussion on a topic that has come into the spotlight following the recent events. This topic is one that is dear to the hearts of all those who work in the home health and hospice space. And while we're introducing this topic, Michael, I want to showcase that OCTALK podcast is an ongoing live event hosted by Decision Health that you can tune into monthly on the FAQs regarding coding and credentialing. This is an essential resource for home health agencies to learn about the latest compliance issues and how your agency can steer clear of trouble. And we do try to stay out of trouble, don't we, Michael? By George, we do. (laughs) You know, and stay tuned to the end of the episode or jump over to the show notes. We're including a link that allows listeners to download the 2024 Home Health Catalog and includes a 15% off coupon. A big thank you to our friends over at Decision Health. So as we were saying on this episode, uh, they have brought together a panel to discuss workplace violence prevention and clinician safety in the home. This episode's panel includes, and they'll be introduced at the beginning of this audio, um, Elise Christensen, Kelly Cavanaugh, Robert Marquette, Arlene Maxim, and Nanette Minton. So listen in on some of their discussion. I'm Jan Milliman, director for OCK, and I'm happy to be hosting today's program. This afternoon, we're talking about workplace violence prevention in home health. And now I would like to introduce our panel for today's call. We have with us Arlene Maxim, RN, HCSC, with AD Maxim Holdings, LLC, on the call today. Arlene is a frequently sought-after speaker in all areas of patient care quality, analysis, and administrative functions in the post-acute healthcare world. With more than 40 years of nursing experience, Arlene previously co-founded regional multi-million dollar Medicare certified home health care companies, hospital-based home care and hospice companies and transitional care programs. And we have with us Kelly Cavanaugh, RN, HCSD, HCSH, HCSO, BCHHC, Quality Assurance Specialist for Riverside Home Health and Hospice, a division of the Pennant Group. Kelly Cavanaugh has been in home health and hospice for 30 years. She has worked as an agency owner and administrator, DON, done billing and claims, been a field nurse, done marketing, served as a director of education, coffee, and Oasis Review and Coding. And we have OCK Board Secretary Robert Marquette, JD, CHC, HCSC, attorney with Hall, Render, Killian, Heath, and Lyman, PC, on the call today. Bob focuses his practice on representing home health, hospice, and private duty providers in all aspects of their operations. With more than 10 years of experience in working with these industries, Bob has developed a reputation for understanding the issues facing home care providers and has assisted clients in a number of areas related to the operation of their businesses. We also have Elise Christensen, RN, HCSD, COSC, Coding Manager with Heart 
Stanford Healthcare on the call today. Elise has been an RN for over 34 years, and currently Elise is serving as the leader of the Coding and Oasis Review Team for a large hospital-based home health and hospice agency. And we also have Nanette Minton, RN, HCSD, HCSH, HCSO, OP board member and senior clinical coding manager with Mac Legacy on the call today. Nanette was, has served in a leadership capacity for over 20 years, holding a variety of roles in the home care and hospice industry, including clinical, administrative, consulting, education, and agency startup and development. Thanks so much for joining us today. We've got such a great panel. All right, let's kick things off with an audience poll. Let me get that started. Here we go. All right, today we are talking about workplace safety, and our question is, how comfortable are you with your organization's workplace violence prevention program? And our answers today are very comfortable, comfortable, could be better, not at all comfortable. And we're seeing folks um, voting here now, and I'll give it another moment or two for you to get your votes in, and we'll discuss these results a little later in the call. All right, votes still coming in. And if you um, have any additional comments beyond your um, answer selection, feel free to share those in the question pane, and um, we can discuss those as we look at the results a little later in the call. All right, it looks like voting has slowed down, so I'm gonna go ahead and close out that poll, and we'll discuss it a little later on. All right, let's get the discussion started. Listeners, if you have any questions for our panelists today, please go ahead and ask them in the chat pane, and we'll get to as many of those as we can. Today, we're talking about workplace violence prevention. And sadly, just a few months ago, our industry learned that a home health nurse was killed while at the site of a visit in Connecticut. And she is not the first home health clinician to encounter a deadly situation in the home. So today, we wanted to discuss this concern and share input from some of our board members about how to keep home health staff safe. Arlene, you brought this topic forward as an important one that we should cover on OCTALK. Can you share a little bit about why you wanted us to devote an episode to this discussion? Well, thank you, Jan, um, and thanks for the question. It was definitely as a result of the um, tragic incident just recently with Alara Care, um, but I, I think that we have to start looking at what's going on just nationally and internationally. I mean, we have so many mental health issues out there. There are things that are happening to us in the home that we just aren't prepared for. And sadly, I believe that our um, the companies that we're working for, hospitals and uh, independent home care agencies and, and the rest, um, are not necessarily thinking about the actual safety of the clinicians and um, you know in home health we're so concerned about getting these referrals taken care of that um, we don't necessarily always stop and think about where is that clinician going what kind of environment is it is it in uh, often clinicians uh, particularly those clinicians with a psychiatric background oftentimes will take I think unnecessary 
challenges um, that they may feel like they may be comfortable in. But when you are in an unstructured structured environment, such as in, in homes and in, in adult foster care homes, and uh, this was a, the this latest incident was in a home, um, I think it was a halfway house or something. Um, it, it's, it's frightening to think about what we could be, what positions we could be putting ourselves into. So I, you know, I um, have done some investigation, and as you know, I have my own podcast, Off the Cuff, All Things Healthcare, and I did uh, one a few weeks ago with one of, uh, with a SWAT team member who brought up so many um, issues that we hadn't even thought about about how clinicians really need to be self-protective and be aware of surroundings. Um, be aware of, um, you know, where you're actually sitting when you go in the home. Look, look for exits when you walk into the home. Um, there's just so many things that we we can be doing, and um, I don't believe that the the providers, um, the home care agencies and hospital-based providers, are actually looking at this seriously enough so that we can see a change in the way things are actually rolling out here. So um, I, I just think that everyone needs to be aware of this. We can't put our head in the sand any longer. We have to realize that we are going into environments where we don't know what's behind that door. And one of the things the officer brought, the SWAT team officer brought up during my podcast was that um, when they go in, when a SWAT team goes in, they are prepared. They have the tools with them to go past that door and expect the unexpected. We go in with a, a certain degree of, um, we're naive in some in many ways, I think, thinking that everything is going to be fine, that everybody loves us because we're nurses and, um, you know, who would want to do anything to a nurse? Uh, sadly, there was just a, a horrible stabbing a couple weeks ago in a New Jersey hospital. Uh, I believe it was a physician and a couple nurses. Um, and uh, it was a parent that was upset about something in, a, in an actual hospital. So it's not just home health, but I do think, I mean, with the nursing shortage, the staffing shortage that we have now, I mean, this doesn't help any. Um, but if we can show that we're doing what we can as providers to protect our staff, um, I, I think, you know, it's going to go a long way. I've had, in, interestingly enough, since the podcast um, broadcasted a couple weeks ago, I've had a number of nurses contact me and tell me about things like, for instance, I'll give you an example. One nurse uh, used to carry pepper spray in her bag and their their uh, safety department in the hospital told, put out a memo and said safe, pepper spray was not allowed in any of their nursing bags. Um, so even though the clinician was trying to protect herself, um, the safety department in the hospital was telling them they couldn't do that. So I think there's got to be a lot of awareness um, brought to front, and I think that um, we need to do what we can as independent clinicians or administrative staff to um, bring this to light with our boards and make them understand that we are not in an environment we were 10 years ago, even five years ago. This is different now, and uh, particularly since COVID, I've seen a lot more um, incidences where it's um, not comfortable for 
many of the home care staff. So I think it's just bringing awareness, um, and that's th the reason I wanted to do this, and I thought it was important that we need to bring awareness to the whole situation. Thanks, Arlene. Definitely. I know we were, as we talked about this topic, every, everybody on this call, you know, had um, something to add to the this this conversation. So I I appreciate you for bringing it forward. And uh, Kelly, um, when we, when we had that conversation, you mentioned an experience from your home health nursing days that was really scary. What did you take away from that incident that changed the way you approached visits in the future? Well, I had a situation where I was visiting with a paraplegic patient who had a very strong upper body from maneuvering and transferring and was in a wheelchair and had I had done completed my visit doing some very complicated wound care. So I had been there for quite a while, but he maneuvered himself in his wheelchair and got between me and the door and announced to me that I wasn't going to leave. And basically held me captive there not not in necessarily in a violent way there was no you know weapons involved but still um you know I, I couldn't get past him to get to the door to get out when my visit was completed so I was able to talk him out of his position and um you know do do some talking to him about you know this is this is not you're not putting me in a safe situation and and really reason with him and get him to kind of see, I understand that you're lonely and I understand that you want somebody to visit with you and, but this is not the approach you should take. And, but I was a young 20 something um, back then. So thank goodness I was able to find the skills to be able to talk myself out of that situation. But the lesson that I learned was absolutely what um, Arlene had mentioned about finding that secondary exit, know where your exits are when you come in in case you need to use them. It could be a, a fire situation as well. If you, a fire broke out in the home, you would need to be able to safely exit the home as well. So knowing where those exits are when you come in is a very, very important lesson that I learned. Certainly, thanks Kelly, thanks for sharing that. Sure. Um, um, another thing I think that sort of came up in what Arlene was saying um, was that there's potential legal issues for agencies whose staff experience violence at patients' homes. I, I'm guessing that the reason that the that the nurses were told they couldn't carry pepper spray might have had to do with a, a legal issue. But then there's the flip of um, if something happens to staff in the home, what should agencies consider if they, as they look at ways to help keep staff safe and what areas of safety might be more complicated than they seem at first glance? I think this is under the broader topic of, work, not just workplace violence, but workplace safety. And as an employer, you have an obligation to keep your employees safe. And as with many things in home care, we tend to, I won't say overlook the home, but view it as we may be limited our ability to control what goes on there. And we may even, and this is what Arlene said, we may have underestimated some of those risks. So I've talked with clients, I've done this in you know, some of the conferences, the, the idea of risks in the home and how we've traditionally overlooked them, because let's be honest, now these, there have been some terribly tragic things that have happened in the home in the last few years, but if you look at the number of home health visits that occur on a daily basis, in comparison, 
most home health agencies and most home health workers have made the not unreasonable conclusion that I go to the home, they want me there, they're going to offer me a safe place to be, and don't think anything more about it. The problem is, as an employer, you do have an obligation to maintain a safe work, work environment, et cetera, and we need to be assessing those risks. And maybe an employee being merged with a home is an extreme outlier, but I've had cases over the years involving pets. Sometimes they have dogs. And I had one case where the agency's nurse only avoided a serious injury from the dog because she basically was able to, she had enough of a head start, she could outrun the dog to the car. And as she described it, in my head, I envisioned this Dukes of Hazard style slide across the hood to get to her door ahead of the dog. Otherwise, something terrible could have happened. And it was just an issue of not understanding you know, that they had a pet and that this pet was perhaps not stranger friendly. I had another case involving a nurse and a fireman. And it wasn't a case of an employee being threatened by a firearm. It was a case of a, a home health patient who owned a firearm, but who wasn't necessarily a safe owner of his firearm. Left one out, loaded, apparently with a round in the chamber and ready to go. And it, the, the gun got knocked off the table. The nurse is attempting to help the patient, bumps the nightstand, the gun falls, the gun goes off. Nurse was injured, but not gravely. The agency, to use a phrase, dodged a bullet. She ended up in, having to go to the hospital and getting stitches, but she wasn't severely injured, and, and a terrible tragedy was avoided. And, and that was just a case of negligence. So we have these, all these things in the home we don't think about because it's the patient's home, and as an employer, we have to. And so you know, from one extreme of, I do think there needs to be some discussion. Have we assessed, in general, the risks in the home, and in particular homes perhaps, but have we trained our staff to pick up on those clues? So it's understandable because of how, how nurses and clinicians tend to be wired that we're going in there with a particular mindset, but, but maybe we need to go in there being trained to be more observant. It, it, are we reasonable to assume the safe environment, to look out for things? So, for example, environmental hazards in the home. Is this a safe place to be? Are, you, are there public nuisance type issues? I've had cases where there are drug deals happening in the home or other illegal activity. We need to assess that and understand that's not a place we need to be. We, we need to pull out of there because there are intrinsic risks in that kind of a, an environment. Is the home itself structurally safe? I know a former board member of ours, Dee Cornelia, likes to tell the story about one of her first home health visits and coming to a trailer in, in a rural part of Florida, and to get to the patient, she was basically the balance beam act across the central central metal beam of the floor because most of the floor rotted out. Well, that's an environmental hazard where an employee could be severely injured falling through the floor. And those, that's another thing we have to think about is to risk. Enough. So we, our staff has to be trained as we're assessing the patient to assess the environment and, and understand, uh, is this a safe environment? Not just for the patient, but for our staff. And if not, we have to think about what steps can we take. So going back to the pet example, that in that case, the family was told, look, we can't come back if that pet's not caged. If we see the pet out, we're not coming, to, we're not even getting out of the car because that, that animal has demonstrated a significant risk to our staff. Another example, in some neighborhoods, is are our staff in danger in going to those neighborhoods? I've had cases where we've had home health staff, you know, threatened, robbed, et cetera, and, and maybe in that neighborhood, you know, we have to reconsider, can we go in there? Can we safely send our staff into there? I, I think about a time when I was 
my former career as a public defender going to investigate a crime scene and actually was stopped by the police and asked, did I need an escort out of the neighborhood? Because it wasn't a place they expected people to be, I guess. So we have to assess all those things, our staff, and, and train them to be aware of those things. Like the idea, Kelly mentioned, of knowing where the exits are. Situational awareness. Don't just assume everything's okay. When you're coming into the home, leaving the home, being, being trained to pick up on those cues. When you're in the home and talking to the family, et cetera, assessing what you're seeing so that we can then make as an agency reasonable decisions based on our policies. I've had some agencies ask, well, can we do criminal history checks on our patients? And, and that's one that you know, I'm not terribly comfortable with. We have to check our, in some state, in some jurisdictions, you have to check your staff where you put them in the home. But the question is, well, what if the patient has a criminal history? Is that patient or patient defendant put us at risk? And, and there's a lot of questions there. And I've generally told families, I think you have to be, you have to be careful going down that road. And there's questions about, can I, my basis of refusing the patient. You can clearly refuse the patient if the environment's unsafe, if your, if your patients are at risk. We can discharge patients if they're at risk. And that's another area we have to think about is the, the willingness to end care. Because at some point, our obligation to keep our patients safe or keep our employees safe trumps the patient's care. And I, we've had, had cases we had to discharge patients due to staff safety and, and risks in the home, whether it's the patient, the environment, others who come into them. All those things have to be considered. I think overall, as an agency, in the myriad of things we have to think about from a regulatory perspective, assessing risks from the home, having policy procedures to mitigate those risks and protect our staff, and making sure our staff understand that their safety is paramount if they feel unsafe they should leave immediately. And then having the processes in place to deal with discharge or cause, et cetera, those are things that have been overlooked. In, in particular with you know, violence in the home, but, but more broadly with, with just general risk management. And then of course, we do have an office and you see a lot of issues with workplace violence in the office and we can't neglect that. We see a lot of stories, or we've seen a couple of stories now about severe incidents in the home but when we're assessing those risks, we also need to think about our office environment. People know where the office is, you know, former you know, disgruntled patients or others could come to the home, upset staff, terminate staff, et cetera. So we need to consider those risks as well, even though those might not, those might be farther down our list of risks. Because when we think of our office, we don't, we don't have huge offices, lots of staff. We tend a lot of stuff focused on the field. There's still something that you need to think about, assess, and plan for, because those are all risks to your staff's safety and you as an employer have an obligation to keep your personnel safe. So that's kind of a broad overview. And there's, there's a lot of stuff, we could spend hours talking about this, but that's kind of broad overview of customers to think about the, the broader risk management concerns we have for employee safety. Thanks, Bob. That was a really great overview. And one of the um, things that you mentioned was something that Elise brought up when we were talking about this, and that's firearm safety. And that's certainly, obviously, something that staff needs to think about when entering the home. Elise, could you share a little bit about that? Yeah, just continuing the theme here of, of situational awareness. I've heard, I think all of us mentioned that. And being aware, not only when you're driving in, before you even get out of your car, being observant, walking in, observing the exits, positioning yourself, look around. And if you see firearms laying around, assume that like the one Bob talked about, that they're hot, that they're ready to fire. 
um, ask the patient to put their firearms away if they're not able to. We need to know enough safety about firearms that we could ask them, may I secure your weapon? May I eject your magazine? May I clear your chamber? Um, if you're comfortable with that. And beyond that, even when we're leaving the home, be aware, and I can share my experience that I did not even realize for a couple of weeks that I was being stalked until the, the caregiver of a family showed up at my children's school. And that was a wake up call for me to be aware, even when I'm leaving, is someone following me? Am I seeing the same car? Um, being just aware, avoid situations if you can, like Bob was talking about, um, move away from a situation, distance yourself. One good trick is to have something in your pocket, especially if someone does have a firearm. Have a red ball or something in your pocket that you can throw at them. Just that momentary distraction sometimes can be enough to allow you that chance to get away. And, and that is what you want to do in these circumstances is get away and protect yourself. Um, ask your agency if there's a possibility of having classes in self-defense. If, if your agency does not host one, then get together with some colleagues, go to a local karate or MMA or self-defense studio and learn some of those basic um, protection, detection, evasion, escape techniques to protect yourself. It's tough out there and, and we're, we're clinicians, we're caregivers, and not only do people trust us, but we're usually a very trusting personality type as well. And, and we, have to, we have to learn this situational awareness and, and these self-protective techniques. They're not something that, that are normal for a caregiver, for a clinician. So that's what I would encourage people to do. Thanks, Elise. Nanette, you shared a little bit about your experiences um, providing hospice care late at night. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yes, absolutely, Jan. <clears throat> Thank you, and, and thanks to all the panelists. This has been an incredibly informative um, session. So I had a particular experience, and I, and I think, it, you know, I had been doing field work for some time, and I was caring for someone uh, in the Fort Worth Housing District who um, was a patient who wasn't going to make it through the night. Um, it was a pretty difficult situation. There were young family uh, involved that were not aware, uh, young children that their mother was going to um, pass. And so um, it, it was a um, just a, a nightmare from the fact of all the things you had to address as a clinician. Knowing that it was not a safe place, uh, we had implemented, you know, where two people went to make visits at that point. So I had a social worker meet me there. But I will say one of the things I'd always learned and, and really served me well because the situation was fine and I was never, I never felt unsafe myself in that particular situation. Um, I actually wore a lab coat. I had my stethoscope around my neck. Um, my badge on, I was clearly identified as someone there to help them um, in a manner that was not threatening. Um, I walked, carried myself with confidence. So I think it's learning some of those things we, we maybe already know, but need to remember um, and how to be confident in them knowing that I was there to help. Um, uh, you know, quite frankly, they would have defended me 
uh, knowing should there have been a situation because I was there to help their family members. So um, that was uh, certainly, um, I know everybody has their own experiences, but that, that was certainly mine and uh, just uh, makes you do a lot of thinking about how you need to approach the home as, as everyone has stated. Thanks so much, Nana, and thanks everyone. I'm so grateful for you sharing, um, you know, both things that you've learned from you know, your personal experiences as well as some practical things that our our folks, our listeners and agencies can do to help staff feel safer. So thank you all so much. I'm going to go ahead and share the results of our poll. Um, we asked how comfortable folks were with their organization's workplace violence prevention and the the numbers um, show that, you know, 26% were very comfortable, 41% comfortable, so a lot of positives there. 33% said could be better. Um, so any suggestions from any of the panelists on maybe something, a first step that an agency could make if they're thinking about improving that um, workplace violence prevention? Well, I think this Lane, I think that one of the things we need to do is become aware, um, make sure that your um, organizations are aware that somebody brings it up. If if your administrative staff have not brought it up, that you bring it up and say, now what are we going to do about this? Um, look at your policies. Policies and procedures have to be established. One of the things a SWAT team member brought up to us was um, checking patients' Facebook pages. I hadn't even thought about that. But they said the SWAT teams and police departments do that all the time. They get an awful lot of information about patients uh, by checking out their Facebook um, profiles. <laughs> so that's, I, that's something really easy to do. But just becoming aware and making sure that your administrative staff is aware and, and say that, you know, we, we demand to have some answers here and what are you going to do to help us and what kind of tools are you going to uh, provide to us for protection? Um, there are things that that can be done out there and um, um, might be an episode for another time <laughs> to, to talk about the tools that are available. But um, I think that's it, just becoming aware, do some investigation, listen when they're, you know, NOC has put together a task force for, um, for, uh, for clinician safety. Um, so I'm not sure what they're rolling out there, but it, it has become a national issue now. So uh, we should be seeing more about that soon. Great. Yeah, we'll definitely look to um, cover this again on a future episode if folks would like to hear that. Um, I'm going to move on now to uh, what's new with AHC. And this is the section of our show when we share updates from the Association of Home Care Coding and Compliance. And I wanted to let our listeners know if you're an OCK member, we are opening applications for our committees. We have open seats on our Board of Medical Specialty Coding and Compliance exam committees, as well as the OCK Documentation Integrity Committee, which has been doing some really exciting work this year. And our new committee, we are forming an education committee. So if 
if you're interested in getting more active with OCK, you can follow that link in the handouts and um, read more about each of the committees and apply for a position. And if you haven't downloaded the handouts that are a part of this call, um, this live call today, you will be able to find them on the OCK website after the call. And that is at ahcc.decisionhealth.com. If you look under resources and then free webinars, you'll find the recording of this call as well as the download of the handouts. I'd like to thank you all for joining us for this episode of OCK Talk. Thanks to our panelists for all the great information and thanks to all of you for tuning in. We hope you'll join us again on January 22nd. If you have any suggestions for future guests, topics, or ideas about the format of the show, please send me an email at jan.milliman at decisionhealth.com. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks again, panelists. We're wishing you all the best as the year winds down and we'll see you next month. Take care. Bye-bye. Well, clinician safety in home health workplace is critical for several reasons. As you know, home health clinicians often, you know, they work alone. They're visiting unfamiliar environments with uncertain conditions. And this lack of, you know, immediate backup increases vulnerability to physical assault, falls, exposures to hazardous materials, or unsafe working conditions. Yeah. Several that were mentioned within that panel discussion were pet hazards, firearms in the home, unpredictable patient interactions, managing patients with diverse medical conditions and quality of care. Well, you know, home health agencies have a legal and ethical obligation to provide safe working environments for all their employees. This includes implementing risk assessments, training programs, and even safety protocols. Overall, prioritizing clinician safety in the home is not just a matter of compliance, but a really vital aspect of ensuring quality care, minimizing costs, and upholding the ethical principles of the healthcare profession. So by recognizing the importance of clinician safety, taking proactive steps to address the specific risks of the home health environment, we can collectively create a safer workplace for these dedicated professionals and ensure that they can continue delivering essential care to patients in their homes. And we love that you listen to the Home Health Revealed podcast. Keep listening. Please keep listening. But head on over and subscribe to the OCK Talk and, uh, if you, if you want to get regular updates on compliance. Don't forget, we're including a link in the show notes that allows listeners to download the 2024 Home Health Catalog and includes a 50%, 15% off coupon. Yeah, you almost said 50. I know. That, that would have been, been bad. Even better. Would have been bad. It would have been good, <laughs> but it would have been bad. Thanks for tuning in, and we will see you next time on Home Health Revealed. Take care.